Assalamualaikum. Thank you for tuning in to the Warda Books podcast. Uh, today we have a good friend of Warda Books, uh, Dr. Hisham Helier. Dr. Hisham uh, was in Singapore for a few days and um, he had a very busy schedule. But Alhamdulillah, we managed to find time to record this um, session. Dr. Hisham Helier is an academic and public intellectual who researches the politics and geopolitics of the contemporary Middle East, security studies globally, and the interplay between faith and modernity. A scholar in the Middle East program at the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace in the US and senior associate fellow in international security studies at the Royal United Services Institute in the UK. He also serves as Fellow of Cambridge University's Centre for Islamic Studies in the Faculty of Asian and Middle Eastern Studies. He was also appointed as the first Senior Scholar of the Azawiya Institute by the late Sheikh Siraj Hendricks and Professorial Fellow of Cambridge Muslim College. Having held senior attachments at the American University in Cairo, Harvard University and the Brookings Institution, he is the author of seven books, including... A Revolution Undone, Egypt's Road Beyond Revolt, Muslims of Europe, the Other Europeans, the Islamic Tradition and the Human Rights Discourse, A Sublime Path, the Sufi Way of the Sages of Mecca. And since 2016, he has been named every year as one of the 500 most influential Muslims in the world. And um, in 2020, he was elected as Fellow of the Royal Society of Arts in London for his scholarly and public impact. And today, we will be talking about two of his books, um, A Sublime Path, The Sufi Way of the Sages of Mecca, and he will be talking about uh, the book that was just published, On Allah Yarham Sheikh Siraj Hendricks, A Luminous Lamp. Muhammad. Alhamdulillah, uh, thank you Prof. Hisham Hilier for uh, joining us today. My pleasure. You've been a great friend and ally of Warda Books and we always appreciate uh, you and the, the things that you do and we always have uh, nice conversations, um, always leaning against um, bookshelves. So it's nice to sit down and have a conversation with you. Allah bless you. Alhamdulillah. So welcome to Warda Books. Thank you. It's always a great pleasure to be in Warda and see Warda grow and change and remodel and refurbish and get more books. Um, you know, it's one of the few places in Singapore that whenever I come, uh, I don't come once, I come multiple times. Uh, so for me, it's a... Uh, a must-see stop, huh? So anybody listening, if you come to Singapore, there are maybe three or four places that I would insist uh, are must-see places, and one of the books is definitely one of them. Alhamdulillah. Uh, thank you for your kind words. So today, um, let's just jump into it. Uh, today we are discussing uh, two of your books, uh, a Sublime Way, a Sufi Path of the Sages of Mecca, and... Um, a luminous lamp in the shade of Table Mountain, the life of Sheikh Siraj Hendricks, Allah Yarham. Uh, first, um, let's talk about A Sublime Way, um, uh, which was published um, quite a few years ago. Let me see. Pre-COVID. So Pre-COVID, yes. Yeah. Right. Okay. So pre-COVID means that everything uh, <laughs> gets squashed, you know. COVID years uh, seem to have been reduced to them one month uh, in yeah. that regard. <laughs> BC, before COVID. Indeed, indeed. So for A Sublime Way, um, can you start by telling me about your journey in producing this book? Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillah, wa salatu salam ala rasulullah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. So again, thank you very much for, for the invitation. I'm very pleased to have this conversation with you. Um, so this particular book was, uh, I have to say, extremely uh, selfish in the sense that, um, of course, I wanted to produce it for the benefit of people, but actually 
one of the main purposes um, that I had for it was how it was produced in the sense that it became a project that I worked on with Al Marhoum, uh, our teacher and Sheikh, Sheikh Saraj Hendricks, um, and also with Sheikh Ahmed Hendricks. Uh, so in that regard, it was a labor of love and something that I really, really, really benefited from doing. Um, and uh, I, uh, I really wish I could have done, you know, 50 books like that, uh, because the, the process of doing the book taught me a tremendous amount. Um, and it was lovely to engage with him on it. So I met Sheikh Saraj Hendricks alayhi, for the first time in 2009. And uh, we eventually became closer and closer. And in, uh, I think it was 2017 or so, um, we decided that we wanted to produce a book together. Um, and it was, you know, mainly supposed to be people who, uh, four people rather, who wanted to understand the tariqah of Sayyid Muhammad bin Ali al-Maliki and uh, the, the tariqah of uh, the tradition of Azawiya. Uh, Azawiya being the institution that Sheikh Saraj's grandfather founded in Cape Town as a result of his time in Mecca. And, uh, you know, it started, uh, it started small and then it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, it was produced... Um, uh, in, in this fashion where, you know, I had discussions with Sheikh Saraj. I came up then with the first draft. I then engaged heavily with Sheikh Saraj and he had, you know, multiple versions that he was going through and he was correcting and going through. And, um, you know, I remember, uh, I, I'm, I'm quite good at going through books on, uh, in soft copy. Mm. Uh, so I can read quite well. Um, I suppose this was about the, the nature of the age by just looking at things on a computer. Sheikh Siraj printed stuff. And uh, I remember, you know, seeing, you know, multiple versions. And I think he was using, you know, this, the same paper uh, and doing back, uh, you know, both sides and mm. so on. And uh, he did that multiple times. Um, there were some questions that I had that I thought would be interesting to pose to Sheikh Ahmed. So as you note, the, the book says uh, on, the, on the cover, uh, Sheikh Saraj uh, and myself with Sheikh Ahmed. Sheikh Ahmed had access to the entirety of the book, um, but there were particular. But he didn't go through everything, um, uh, or at least he didn't provide feedback on everything. But there were particular things that I really wanted to get his feedback on, and it's quite clear in the book where that took place. You know, because I actually, you know, uh, I'll, I'll put extracts of his answers that were directly to me clarifications of particular points or expounding on particular points. Um, and then in the footnotes or the biography, it says, you know, conversation with Sheikh Ahmed. So um, that was the nature of the collaboration. So the three of us really worked on it together. As I said, Sheikh Ahmed did have access to the entirety of the thing. But the, the book itself stands as, you know, a collaboration between the three of us, um, authorized as such. And as a result, um, uh, because of their input, I think it, it really came together in a really nice, beautiful way. Uh, I was very interested in just engaging with them, you know, and uh, I spent a lot of time, uh, particularly with Sheikh Saraj, but also with Sheikh Ahmed, going through different things, getting, you know, certain clarifications. And in that regard, it was just a, a wonderful project to have to do. You, you, you said um, at first that you this book was mainly for yourself, that you wanted to clarify uh, some things. What were not, some of the things? Not, not, not really for myself per se. Mm. When I say mm. selfish, it's <laughs> that I was very happy to just have that mm. opportunity mm. as a project mm. huh? um, to engage with them really heavily. You know, um, you, you also don't want to be a burden on your teachers, right? So uh, in this regard, it was a project that we agreed to do. Mm. So it meant that, you know, we were engaging very heavily on these sorts of issues. So it's it was an opportunity. Yeah. It was a great opportunity. Yeah. And I really wanted to do more. And I was looking forward to doing more. Um, 
but that'll take us to the next book. Um, yeah. Uh, but indeed, the, uh, but there were things that I wanted to understand. So one thing that I always found very interesting about that tariqah was that um, from the outside, you think that it's just basically a ba'alawi tariqah mm. um, in the sense that, you know, the uh, uh, there's a great emphasis on Imam Ghazali. There's, uh, when it comes to the awrad, uh, at least that are historically sort of recited, it's very similar to the west, rest of the Cape region. And uh, those are, you know, things like Ratab al-Atas and Ratab al-Haddad. And in fact, the first thing that I asked from Sheikh Siraj when I first met him was Ijaza in Ratab al-Atas, mm. which I knew that he had. Um, and that's what you, you see from the outside. But actually, it's, it's much more complex and complicated and really quite intriguing. Because uh, as, as I understood from them, and we put this into the book, and later there was, there's something that I put into the second book that I didn't put into the first because I didn't have this particular line. Um, but the, the tariqa essentially, in its essence, is a shadli tariqa. Um, a particular take on the shadliya, which is heavily, heavily... You know Idrisi uh, from Sidi Ahmed and Idris in influence, but is almost um, enveloped and imbued with uh, with a Baalawi flavor, um, and then multiple other things. Those are the main things, uh, but multiple other things, and uh, that's all about it being a Meccan tradition. In that all of these things came into Mecca, and then they're essentially, as Shaykh Ahmed puts it in the in the book, there's a nice little paragraph where he discusses this, are essentially mujtahidun, you know, mm. they're independent, you know, uh, not creators, but let's say independent masters of tariqah. So they're allowed to do that. They have that, authentic, they have that authentic authority in that regard. And that was something really beautiful to me. It wasn't eclectic. It wasn't syncretic. It was really quite authentic and really beautiful. I really loved it. And uh, it, it drew me tremendously um, and you know, I'll uh, I'll always be grateful for that time that I spent with Sheikh Saraj, um, and maybe always uh, hoping that the that the connection continues. Uh, be before we get into the the tariqa itself, uh, I just want to zoom back and and talk about in the introduction to this book, um, Sheikh Siraj's introduction. Um, he goes at length about um, the importance of diversity and respecting the other and he ties in uh, into this kind of focus to justice um, so i just want to ask you to to talk a lot a bit about about that about his um, why did he see uh, that uh, an introdu introduction like this to talk about diversity is important so when when Sheikh Siraj Rahmatullah was talking about just uh, sorry was talking about diversity, he's really, you know, trying to remind people, and of course it fits in with his tradition because his tradition is very diverse, right? So when Sheikh Muhammad Saleh comes back from Mecca, of course he's got the tariqa with him, and he's a master, um, but there's a lot of respect for other turuk. When Sayyid Muhammad bin Ali al Maliki gave his ijazah, the ijazah would include ijazah, uh, ijazat in many turuk. Because he was a master in them. And even when I've, I saw the ijaza from Sheikh Saraj, it mentions the Shadaliyya, it, it mentions the Qadariyya, it mentions uh, the Tijani, it mentions uh, any number of Turuk, and actually uh, some of those are mentioned in the book. Um, it, it's also very much about Madhab, okay, when it comes to uh, the, the schools of law. When Shaykh Muhammad Saleh came back, uh, of course he's a Shafi'i, but he's also really well learned in the Hanafi school, and he taught Hanafi fiqh as well um, at the Zawiya. That was part of the curriculum that was taught because there was a small Hanafi minority in Cape Town at the time, and it was important because of the Ottoman heritage and so on. So uh, there's a lot of respect for that as well. Um, and you, you see that. And I think one of the things that Sheikh Saraj was concerned about during his life was this increasingly narrow kind of thing. Not, not in the sense that, you know, it's not important for people to focus on a school, because I think that if you are talib al-ilm, if you mm. are a student of knowledge, then yes, indeed, that's what you do. 
you focus on a school, you learn the school. And once you've learned the school, if you want to go on and do other schools, that's great. But, you know, quote unquote, uh, uh, pick and mix, you yeah. know, mix and match. Um, you know, I'm not saying it's haram, but it doesn't make for incredible depth in, in terms of knowledge and mastery uh, of the science. Uh, so in that regard, he was very, very concerned about uh, depth. He was also very concerned about respect um, and about recognizing that, alhamdulillah, this tradition is really quite wide. And he would ask questions of it. Um, he would ask questions of the tradition. And uh, I always saw that as, as him recognizing that the tradition is really quite vast, is really quite expansive, and ought to be treated like a supercomputer as opposed to a miniature typewriter, which I think a lot of people do. Uh, so in that regard, that was what was going on when it came to diversity. The, the, sec uh, the second question you asked about justice, he was really a man of justice. And this was also something else that appealed to me very much when I met him. Uh, my father was active in the anti-apartheid movement uh, in the United Kingdom. And I heard about South Africa many times growing up uh, because of that history that he had. He's not a, he, wasn't a, he is not a South African, he's English, but he was quite active in that regard. And uh, I, uh, I found it very interesting to come across this Muslim community who, not all, but you know, quite a few people in that community were very active in the anti-apartheid struggle. Sheikh Siraj himself, um, as a student, not as Sheikh of the Zawb, but as a student, while he was a student in Mecca and he, when he was coming back on his sabbaticals, um, he was actually protesting against apartheid and he was arrested for it and imprisoned for it. Uh, I found that very appealing you know, quite frankly, um, because I think that there is this emphasis on justice that you find within him and within his tradition. Sayyid Muhammad bin Ali Maliki, Ali, he was also imprisoned, not, not for protesting apartheid, but because of his stances on Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah um, in a place that was not particularly keen to hear those clarifications. And uh, again, you know, having that, you know, that sense of, uh, of justice, I felt was, was very important. And it's, you know, it's not something that we see very commonly in our age. Um, there's a lot of, quote unquote, domestification of Muslims mm. taking place in different places. And uh, I was very pleased, um, just instinctively, even emotionally, you know, to see that sort of thing. Yeah, to, to, to your point, uh, there's this um, line that I, I circled in the book. Uh, is, could I read this? this Bismillah. Uh, this is from the introduction. However, and here is a primordial and pertinent point that is often missed. There can be no peace in the absence of justice, wisdom and compassion. The peace which Islam calls us to is always underpinned by justice, wisdom and compassion. Indeed, it is that peace that the spiritual path calls us to also. So, That's Sheikh Sarosh. Yes, yeah. um, there was... Uh, uh, there's a line, um, not a line, but let's say almost a, a motto. You know, he was mm. a, a radical traditionalist, mm. you know, a radical traditionalist. Um, and he believed in a radical tradition in the sense that the tradition itself is radical. Um, of course, radical in a good way, not radical in an extremist kind of way, but is radical. You know, it is radical to stand um, knowing that you're standing on the shoulders of giants um, with the tradition that is incredibly vast and diverse. It is radical for us to continue to hold to certain truths in the face of so much tyranny and mm. injustice. It is radical to continue to hold to these precepts and these principles in the face of it being so unpopular in many ways. Uh, this is all radical. Um, and it's a radicalism that I hope the the world recognizes it needs. Mm. Yeah, is a is a positive um, force for for change. Absolutely. Yeah. In my opinion, uh, it's it's direly necessary. But of course, not everybody agrees. Um, coming back to the uh, tariqa itself, uh, um, it's been described um, as a melting pot. Um, can you talk about that? So Sayyid Muhammad bin Ali al he was in a hal. Mm. And in this hal, he was with his son-in-law, uh, who's a good friend of mine. 
um, uh, who is also oh. an Idrisi uh, Sharif, um, much as his father-in-law was. And said Muhammad in this hal, and I heard this directly from Suleiman, uh, said Muhammad in his hal says, uh, I am Idrisi, Shadli, Alawi, and Alawi here meaning Ba'alawi, huh? Um, uh, until the Prophet وسلم, permits me by other than this. Mm. And that to me represents really the core of what his tariqah is. Um, and uh, it is definitely an Idrisi way, it is certainly a Shadli way, and in fact, I. I would uh, I would characterize it as even if I really wanted to sort of zone in even further, uh, then I would say that the the shadli essence really comes through, uh, because of course the idrisiya is an offshoot of the shadliya, um, and of course uh, the sadab alawi themselves say that their path is shadliyun batinun. Okay, that it is a shadli path inwardly speaking, and it's a Ghazalian path outwardly. Um, so in that regard, the, the thing that ties all of it together is really the the essence of Sidi Abu al-Hassan al-Shadri, rahimahullah. Um, at the same time, um, if you pick up any of his books on Awrat, if you mm. see any of the ijazes that he or his khulafa, and of course Sheikh Siraj and Sheikh Ahmed were both appointed as khulafa, then you see ijazat in other turuk as well, right? You know, so the Naqshbandis, mm. uh, the Chishtis, uh, the Qadris, and so on. Um, of course, Sheikh Abdul Qadir Jilani is very important in this tariqah as well, because again, he is a figure that ties all of them together. You know, the, the Shadhiliya goes back to Sheikh Abdul Qadir Jilani. Um, and the, uh, one of the lines of the Sadab Alawi goes through Sheikh Abdul Qadir Jilani. Uh, and we mentioned that in the book, you know, so uh, really uh, to me, if you really want to trace it back, then, you know, a big sort of core is Sayyidah al-Hassan and, you know, another one predating him is Sheikh Abdul Qadir. And again, we do mention that in the book. So uh, uh, melting pot was the best phrase that I think we could have come up with. Uh, but it's not eclectic and it's not syncretic mm. because that, that implies that it's sort of like a patchwork quilt or something. Or cherry picking. Yeah, and it's not yeah. that. What, what, what makes it different from, from there? I mean. Consistency, you know. So um, I'm very cautious about this sort of syncretic kind of approach in, in different things huh? because you have syncretism in religion as well, which I think is, uh, is intellectually, but also spiritually incredibly dubious. Mm. Um, so it's not that, but if you pick up Shawarak al-Anwar, for example, uh, which is the, you know, the, the core awrad text of Sayyid Muhammad bin Ali al-Maliki, uh, he had others as well, of course, and you know, there are things like Mukha al-Ibadah mm. um, that are very important, but Shawarak al-Anwar, you'll see um, the awrad and the adhkar, uh, that there's a lot of stuff from the Shatiliyya, there's a lot of stuff from the Sadaba Alawi, there's a lot of stuff from the Idrisiyya, uh, but there's also uh, stuff that you'll find for the Rifa'iyya. Um, you'll find other salawat and, uh, and uh, ratibs and so on from different turuk. And of course, he had permission in all of them uh, permission to recite, but also permission to pass on. Um, so, in that regard, it's a very uh, very primordial kind of thing, in my, in my opinion. I suppose one, one thing that uh, you could have from this melting pot is that uh, for a practitioner of this uh, tariqah, you're at home almost anywhere. Uh, that you so this was another thing that I really liked about him. Um, uh, I never felt that there was any uh, exclusivity mm. um, and there was none of this stuff about, you know, my sheikh is better than your sheikh or my... Uh, the founder of my tariqah is, you know, the uh, he uh, he is the tariqah. The beyond, you know. Yeah. yeah, no. So there was none of that. There was none of that, and there was always. I never heard anybody saying, "Oh, can't you can't go to this tariqah to do their awrad or anything like that." Like it was a very open sort of thing. Like they, they. Uh, in fact, uh, there are a number of 
people who are very strongly attached to the institution of Azawiyah in Cape Town. And I know they're not with Tariqatan, mm. they're not with the Zawiyah. Okay, they're actually parts. Uh, they're actually in tr- uh, very deeply involved in other turuk, mm. but the uh, but Azawi was their home, yeah. you know. So they're there and they're reciting the awrad, and they might even be the main people reciting the <laughs> awrad sometimes, you know, for the for the uh, the brethren that are there. Um, but actually, their bayah is somewhere else, mm. um, and that was absolutely fine. That was absolutely fine, um, and it didn't cause confusion. It didn't cause. Um, you know, people thinking, oh, wh- what are we doing here? Are we supposed to be doing that or that? You know, it was all very, very well laid out, alhamdulillah, with great adab um, and beautiful etiquettes all around. That really. speaks to the diversity um, call um, early on. Uh. Yes, yes, but it's also just part of that particular tradition, really. Right. So, um, again, you'll have lots of people. Uh, I mean, I knew people who... Whenever it was time for Mawlid, this individual, that individual had to be there mm. uh, because they were part and parcel of the actual Mawlid itself in terms of the singing and the reciting of the Awrat. But I knew for a fact, and it wasn't secret, that they had taken Ba'a mm. with somebody that had nobody to do with the Zawiyah, nothing to do with the Zawiyah. That was fine. Um, that was absolutely not a problem. And that was something also quite beautiful. MashaAllah. The, the book outlines in a very clear way this, the, the path of gratitude and the path of wafering. Yes. And most tariqah, from my understanding, take one path or the other. So, but the, the tariqah, the ulama of Makkah, integrates the two. Uh, can you talk about that as well? A little bit. So, um, the, the hadith of Sayyidina Jibreel, mm. as it's called, uh, specifies that um, ihsan is to worship Allah as though you saw him for if you did not see him you know that he sees you um, and I don't uh, I think a lot of people read that and think oh it's it's still mm. one thing yeah. and actually the ulama very often describe it as two different paths so to worship Allah as though you saw him this is one for if you did not see him you know he sees you and this is two okay um, and uh, some of the ulama, they are very insistent that actually one is higher than the other, one is more sincere than the other, or let's say more direct than the other, um, that the first path is a path of witnessing, mushahada, okay, is a path of attraction or jadh, and they say this is the higher path, and that this is, the, uh, this is what these ulama say, uh, this is a higher path, and it is the path uh, of the salihin, of the Salaf, of uh, the early awliya, and so on. So the second path is a path of wayfaring, a path of mujahada, uh, of muraqaba, um, and uh, they still say this is this is completely uh, a path of ikhlas. It's not that it is somehow insincere, astaghfirullah. Um, but as, uh, as Sayyidah Abul Hassan, I believe his narrator is having said, uh, our path, okay, the path of jadh, is where theirs ends. Okay, so in that regard, you have the folk of the said the Ba'alawi, um, as I said, they their shadaliyun batinun, wa khazaliyun zahirun. Okay, and what they mean by that is that theirs is the path of jadh or the path of attraction, the path of witnessing mushahada inwardly, and. You know, it's this, it's the path of Imam Ghazali outwardly. Now, Imam Ghazali, of course, was a man of you know great spiritual mastery, but we we turn, but the ulama they term the method or they term the approach Ghazali in quotation marks not because he didn't have mushahada but because of his method. Now, um, what uh, what the the te- at least from my teachers what they told me was that uh, the hope is that through the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that if you persist on the path of muraqabah, of mujahada, that Allah in his mercy will raise you, huh? will elevate you to that path of witnessing. Whereas when it comes to the path of witnessing, if you're already, you know, that, then, you know, in some regards you've already got there. There's no traveling because your, your path has been, as uh, I think it was Ahmed al Zarouk who said this, um, your path has, uh, uh, you've already got there. So you actually have a different task in front of you. And they say that there's no, uh, some people say, 
erroneously that there's no traveling or there's no suluk when it comes to the path of witnessing. This isn't true, as he says. Uh, actually, um, there is, but unlike you know the the path of uh, of mujahida, um, the the road in this way has been folded up like a piece of paper. Um, so instead of going from point A to point B and having to go across the paper like that, the paper is folded. Mm. So the two points are just brought together. Mm. Um, fa, uh, when it comes to the tariqah, alhamdulillah, as I said, um, you know, it is very much a shadali path. Um, Imam Ghazali is incredibly important when it comes to this tariqah, incredibly important. In fact, you know, the ihya mm. was a wirt. Mm. Huh? for the sheikhs of Azawiya. And uh, one of Sheikh Siraj's uncles is, is known for having read it, you know, I think 30 times or something in his life as a wirt, you know. Um, so it's uh, in that regard, yes. In that regard, they're very Ba'alawi, you know, in that the emphasis on Imam uh, Ghazali, Hujjat al-Islam um, is very important. Um, and is is unthinkable to like mm. you know not not include uh, inwardly their method is that of the path of jathb and uh, making yourself ready to receive alhamdulillah the uh, the breezes uh, that Allah subhanahu wa taala sends to all of us. Yeah, uh, thanks for that um, detailed explanation. Yeah, that was the part of the book that really struck me. Um, how it pivots around the, the hadith of Jibril. Uh, MashaAllah, thank you for that. Uh, the book also talks a lot about the... It doesn't talk specifically, but it goes in and out on, on this idea of the ijazah, or the ijazah system in our yeah. tradition, and the various levels of attachment, permission, mm-hmm. and licenses. So this epistemology is, is something almost lost to most people who have only exposed to Western-type education. Yeah. So can you talk about how important the ijada system it is to, to our tradition? It's, in my opinion, it's completely indispensable. Mm. You know, and uh, I get very wary of people who think that they can really understand the tradition by just going through, you know, universities or something, um, including quote-unquote Islamic universities, huh? because a lot of those systems have simply taken the, uh, the framework of, uh, of Western academia um, which, by the way, I'm knocking, but I'm a product also of that system, right? And I recognize this very much, but uh, I hope it's also clear I'm not knocking it without knowing what it's about. Mm. Um, I know for a fact that a PhD, and I am one, mm. is not a substitute in the slightest for a really deep traditional training at all. You know, it's, it's not even a question for me. Um, on the contrary, sometimes it can even be a hindrance. You know, of course there are there are ideals, okay, and the ideal would be for somebody that's in academia at least that they have a solid grounding in the tradition. It doesn't need to be the most you know mm. uh, in depth, but you know something like um, you know basic to intermediate level, so that they really can understand what they're doing here. And of course, when it comes to ulama that are engaging in the times that we're in. Uh, a Western academic education provides certain tools and skills that they might not get otherwise. And opportunities. Yes, um, but of course, you know, it's not everybody who can do stuff like that. You know, so Sheikh Siraj, mashallah, he was very, very uh, in tune with understanding uh, the modern world. It was something that I appreciated. He didn't surrender to it, mm. but he understood it, and he uh, he did his uh, uh, he did his master's degree. Um, at a Western-style educational institute, I mean, Western uh, University uh, based in South Africa, of course. And, you know, what uh, I'm, I'm currently editing his, uh, his master's thesis for publication. Um, his master's thesis is, uh, uh, is maybe double or triple the size of my own master's thesis. And uh, when it's published, um, I think a lot of people think it's a PhD thesis um, because it's actually incredibly long and really detailed and is of that level. You know, I think it could have easily been recommended uh, for uh, a doctoral dissertation as opposed to a master's one. What is the work on? 
the work is actually on Sufism in the Cape. Um, but in, uh, in so doing, he's also talking about Sufism and the history of Sufism, and the histories of, of Tariqah and how Islam arrives into that part of the world and so on. So it's a fascinating book, which I hope will be out later this year, inshallah, inshallah. Um, but no, the Ijazi system is incredibly important. Of course, in the book, we talk about it in, in several different ways. One is about that educational uh, continuity of authenticity, but there's also, um, you know, how the tariqa itself functions vis-a-vis ijaza. Um, a little bit different than what I saw in, dif- in other places, you know. So, for example, the, the word bay'ah doesn't really come up in this particular tradition that much. Um, but instead, the word ijaza comes up. So, you have ijaza for... Uh, being just connected in a symbolic way to the tariqah. Um, so the ijaza is really for is really a permission for you to read the awrad. Um, so in that regard, it's it's quite similar, if not identical, to bay'ah bittawarruk, okay, or the pledge for blessings. Um, and then the second ijaza is for dukhul or entry into the tariqah. You know, which I found really interesting, right? You know, just in terms of, of language and idioms. So instead of using the word pledge or uh, pledge or oath of allegiance, um, which some do, you know, like the Ba'alawis generally don't say the word Ba'ad, they'll use the word Ahad, okay, which is a pledge, but it's a little bit different in terms of the meaning of the word. Although it's, you know, it serves the same function. Um, when it comes to uh, when it comes to this particular tariqah, they use the word ijaza. Um, so it's, uh, it's a permission, it's a license to practice. And then, of course, there's the, the, the final level, uh, which provides for people to uh, take murids, um, to, uh, teach. Uh, to teach, um, but to teach from the tariqah. Huh? Um, and that's a different thing altogether. Not everybody gets that. Uh, of course, you know, um, and within that category, you have people who are maqaddams, you have people who are khulafa, um, but that's a different thing altogether. So, you know, it's a it's a very interesting uh, way of looking at it, in my opinion. Yeah, in terms of the transmission of knowledge, the preservation yes. of knowledge, and to to know who has authority to give what level yeah, of knowledge. No, absolutely. I mean, and this is something else that I think people get really mixed up with. So somebody might have ijazah to pass on the awrad. It doesn't make them somebody who can do tarbiya, mm. okay, who can actually train people. Uh, some people might have ijazah amma, okay, which is great and wonderful, but doesn't necessarily testify to mastery of a particular text, right? It, testifies to an overall assessment that uh, from the sheikh who gives that particular ijazah um, that, uh, that the one uh, who requests the ijazah is actually you know, a, pretty, a pretty solid guy. You know? It's not quite the same thing. Um, and uh, even though it's something that's rare and it's beautiful, um, but it's not quite the same thing. Um, and you may even have people who have ijazah in the tariqah but they never received really the idhan. Mm. And that's not something that's put down on paper. You know, that's a different thing altogether. So these things are prerequisites, but they're not, I would say, always sufficient. And uh, I think that causes a lot of confusion in our time because a lot of people um, who, uh, who are attracted to these sorts of things, they come in and then, you know, they, they get messed about. Um, by people who just don't know what they're doing mm. and don't have the requisite training or whatever it is and they then have problems and they get traumatized uh, so we ask God to protect us from these sorts of trials and tribulations yeah th- th- this is what I was thinking because leading into this, this book A Luminous Lamb um, it talks about institutions and talks about family networks and all that yeah. so the ijazah system really underpins yes it does so I, I know lots of mashayikh uh, who are mashayikh um, but they took the tariqah from their fathers mm. okay so it becomes more of a family affair they have the ijazah and they have the awrat and they can pass those on um, 
But that doesn't always mean, sometimes it does, but it doesn't always mean that they can do what their fathers did. shade of Table Mountain. Uh, it's about the life of Allah Sheikh Siraj Hendrix. This book strikes me to be a very personal book for you. Uh, what has been the experience writing it? Sheikh Siraj was very important to me. And uh, we had many plans. Mm. But right. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the best of planners. Alhamdulillah. And uh, uh, when Sheikh Siraj got sick, it was under COVID, mm. so it was a very challenging time for all of us. Uh, ironically, he and I both got COVID at the same time, in completely different places. I was in Cairo at the time, he was in Cape Town, but we both got COVID pretty much around the same time, which was just after Eid, uh, Eid al-Fitr in 2020, like late May. Um, and uh, alhamdulillah, myself and my family, we recovered. Uh, Sheikh Siraj eventually went into a coma and, uh, and passed away six weeks after having contracted uh, in July. Um, and uh, it was, of course, a huge loss uh, for Zawiya, uh, for myself, uh, for South Africa, uh, frankly, for the Ummah and beyond, because, you know, he was somebody who touched many people who weren't even Muslim. Um, and I found him to be, you know, uh, I mean, I'm, one of the reasons why I wrote the book was that, you know, I find myself uh, struggling to, to say in words mm. um, and I wanted to write it down. And there were things about him that I really wanted to let people know. Um, so, yes, it was a deeply personal book. It was a deeply personal work. Um, I, uh, I was careful about publishing it. Um, in that I really wanted to make sure that it was sound. Mm. And, uh, you know, I gave it to his family. Um, I gave it to his wife and to his three children, uh, who, of course, were closest to him. Um, and uh, I'm very honored that they gave a, a very fulsome endorsement for it, um, whom I'm still very close to. Um, to uh, I gave it to his uh, perhaps his closest friend who was Shafiq Morton uh, may Allah give him a much longer life and health Amin Ya Rabb and uh, uh, you know he, he went through all of it and had comments and edits he's a really good editor mashallah um, and uh, he also gave a very fulsome endorsement Alhamdulillah and then to others uh, who were quote unquote from his peer group, including you know Habib Hassan Al Atas uh, here in uh, in Singapore, Sheikh Afifuddin Jilani, who also knew him, um, uh, Sheikh Mohammed Ninawi. Uh, these are all people who who knew him um, and knew of him, uh, knew of his impact rather, and uh, they were all very uh, uh, very enthusiastic. Alhamdulillah. Mm -hmm. Uh, that was important to me because I really wanted to make sure that you know what I had written that it was it was sound and that it was uh, it was what it was supposed to be. Uh, the first draft I actually wrote incredibly quickly because it was uh, you know it was it was a very difficult time for Azawiya because first there was the pandemic, so Sheikh Saraj and I and Sheikh Ahmed we uh, we actually put out um, some. Uh, let's say notes of guidance for the murids when it came to closing the mosques and so on, closing the mosque and so on, um, and engaged on that level. Um, and keeping in mind, I wasn't in Cape Town, you mm. know, so I was uh, I was honored that Sheikh Siraj asked me to be, you know, a part of that. Um, uh, but it was also, you know, a difficult time because people really wanted to. Once he got sick, people wanted there to be something um, that we could do. And I suggested to Sheikh Ahmed, and he granted uh, permission for this, for us to hold you know, quite regular 
dhikr sessions, um, you know, praying that Sheikh Siraj uh, would would recover, um, in the hopes that he would recover rather. And we did that for you know quite some time, and when he passed away, I couldn't be there. You know, obviously we were all still under lockdown. Um, one of the murids, uh, Allah bless him, um, during the janaza um, with Sheikh Saraj's son, Rashid, alhamdulillah, led, and who's now a student of mine actually in Cairo, um, uh, one of the murids uh, took a phone and uh, was filming the whole thing live, you know, in real time. And um, when they did the janaza, I also did the janaza. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, I did it salat ala al-ghaib. Um, but when they did the janaza, I also did my janaza. Um, and thereafter, you know, after he'd been placed in the ground, uh, of course, there were lots of people that I had to talk to and engage with and, and so on. But, you know, at one point, quite quickly, I... I sat down and I just wrote. And what I wrote eventually was uh, was posted online um, and it immediately, you know, it kind of went viral. Um, people really, really missed and valued him. Um, but there were other things that I wanted to, to say, but I didn't want it to go online. I wanted something a bit more substantial than that. And uh, I expanded on it quite quite significantly. Um, quite substantially and that formed the basis of this book and I gave it to different people to read as I mentioned and then eventually Darul Turoth al-Islami we really thought that COVID wouldn't last this long so our initial plan was that we would launch the book in Azawiya you know maybe a year later um, and then a year passed and, you know, we couldn't because the mosque wasn't open. And then more than that and then more than that. And then eventually we, we decided, you know, it's, it's been more than two. I think it had been two years at that point, almost two years. And we thought we better just, you know, get it out because people need to know this stuff. Um, and we did. Alhamdulillah. And, you know, I, uh, Sheikh Ahmed uh, at the time had said, you know, let's launch it in Azawiya. But because the time... I'd just gone on and on and on. I wasn't sure if that was going to be possible. So, you know, alhamdulillah, it was launched. Um, still, We still haven't had an official launching in Cape Town. Mm. Uh, we will do, inshallah. Um, I hope very soon, actually. Um, but of course, it's a very new text. So, you know, um, uh, it was really down to COVID more than anything else. But we'll, uh, we'll adjust that soon, inshallah. Thank you for, for sharing all that. Um, and your personal feelings towards um, this book and how it came about and about uh, Shay Siraj Alayarham himself. Yeah, I mean, yeah. But coming back to the to the book, uh, the, a big theme of the book uh, to me is that it talks about family ties and about the, the power of institutions to, to be forces of change. Mm. Specifically, the Maliki family and the Hendrix family yes. and the Zawiya itself and, as an yes. institution. How important are family and institution to Islamic tradition and is there a danger if family ties nowadays are weakened and institutions give way to for-profit companies uh, in the modern era can, can you talk a little, bit, a little bit about that I mean I think that's a bit separate from what we were talking about it's very true sure. though you know sure. so the Maliki family and the Hendricks family were really intertwined mm. and they've been intertwined now for four generations mashallah the fourth generation is Rashid um, Rashid is the first Hendrix that doesn't study in Mecca for the bulk of his studies. He's studying in Cairo. That has everything to do with what's going on in Mecca than, than anything else. Right. Um, but it's fortuitous as well because, alhamdulillah, uh, I spend a lot of time in Cairo. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm very much uh, uh, continuing my association with Azawiyah in multiple ways. And one of those ways... Uh, even though Sheikh Siraj has passed away, uh, Sheikh Ahmed, may Allah give him a much, much longer life and health, inwardly and outwardly, Amin is alive, and we Amen. pray we have him for many, 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 many more years in the best of health, inshallah. And Rashid um, is, is with us, alhamdulillah. Um, 
now at some point i'm sure we will i mean he's already got the the connection that he needs but he'll get more inshallah via mecca um, in the days to come but you know azawiyah has functioned like that for a hundred years like literally 102 102 years now it was founded in 1920 and that's the way that it's worked and it's worked well alhamdulillah sometimes family uh, mm-hmm. doesn't quite work like that and yeah. as i said you know there is always uh, this uh, this fear uh, or this concern that if there's uh, emphasis too much on family then quality diminishes um, alhamdulillah it hasn't worked out like that for Zawiyah you know Sheikh Muhammad Saleh his, his sons four of his sons went off to study one of them died in Mecca but the three of them came back and they were phenomenal Sheikh Saraj and Sheikh Ahmed were phenomenal and uh, we hope and pray that uh, Rashid inshallah uh, will also be phenomenal we have full confidence in that alhamdulillah uh, and of course the same for the Maliki family now having said that of course it's not just all about family so two of Sayyid Muhammad bin Ali bin Maliki's khulafa were indeed Sheikh Saraj and Sheikh Ahmed they're not his family they're not his family um, but he made them khulafa okay and Sheikh Saraj made somebody Muqaddam, who is not related to him in the slightest. Alhamdulillah. You know, I mean, we have uh, uh, that sort of quote-unquote option as well. Mm. So uh, we hope and pray that, you know, these sorts of things, um, that there's a balance um, and that it's always about uh, continuing the tradition and making sure it's not fossilized, mm. um, but that we, we benefit and it provides benefit, inshallah. community in South Africa uh, is like a minority within a minority but at the same time there's an internationalism to it um, there's a historical link with Nusantara yes and uh, we share Yusuf and Makassar and many others and the Hendrix family themselves with their links to Zanzibar and Mecca and of course you mentioned in Anne Bang's work uh, the the book on Sufi networks yes so can you talk about these international networks and how it is important for small pockets of Islamic communities to, to, to survive and to flourish? So I have to say that when it came to South Africa, they were cut off for a long time. Yeah. And they were cut off because of slavery and because of apartheid. Um, but generally speaking, those networks are incredibly important. And uh, I, I personally have a, a, a bit of a bugbear about minority communities who insist that they can just go it alone. Mm. You know, so I hear all this stuff about like American Islam and European Islam. And, you know, I'm a European, you know, um, on, on many levels. Huh? You know, I mean, I was passionately opposed to Brexit. Um, I'm a Europeanist in that regard. Um, and uh, I... Uh, I'm very, I'm very aware of my European, English, British side, mm-hmm. um, and I'm also very keen that British and uh, European and American and Canadian and Australian and so on communities develop their own institutions. Um, and I hope and pray that they develop them to the extent that there would be no longer any need to mm. go anywhere else because I would like to see those communities be at the same level as any other community for that matter, uh, majority or minority. But that's a pretty tall order and I don't think that many of them are there yet. Um, I don't think any of them are there yet and really the, uh, the reality is, is that you know, there are other places that are within majority context within quote-unquote the heartlands um, uh, that are important to continue to benefit from without, without assuming that they have all the answers. So you know, this one person I know whom I won't mention his name, but I love him. And he, uh, he benefited greatly from his time in Egypt. And he talks a lot about Western Islam. Uh, I won't mention which country, so you guys can't figure out who I'm talking about. But he'll talk a lot about Western Islam. 
um, uh, he is who he is because of his time in Egypt. Mm. He is who he is because of his time in Egypt. And I remember him telling me something else, which was, this is to balance it out, um, we can't expect Egyptian ulama to be able to give us answers to our problems that emanate from us being from the West. Yeah. We can't. It's not their cultural context. They don't know those challenges. Um, but at the same time, he is, he is who he is because of his time in Egypt, not in his time in America, when it comes to his Islamic studies. So I think linking and benefiting is incredibly important and continuing those links. And indeed, he continued to come back all the time. Um, uh, and just to put things in the right place, you know, I, yeah, it's something that Sayyidina Qayyib al-Atas talks a lot about putting things in the right place and its relationship to adab and justice and so on. And I think this is so important, um, you know, and is nothing new, huh? you know, I mean, it's not like we're trying to, you know, recreate the wheel, as it were. Um, uh, this isn't new, it's quite old. The reality is that uh, there have been many communities in the past, um, continue to be in the present, and uh, almost certainly, inshallah, will be in the future with many other communities. They learn and benefit from particular places that have just had these institutions around for a really long time. So benefit from that, um, and then build on that. Um, Because otherwise, you're just cutting yourself off. And you're cutting yourself off not just from people, but from the tradition itself, or it becomes really narrow, and you only have certain entry points. Um, and I don't see any benefit in that. Um, but you also have to keep aware that you know you have a particular context, and you have to learn the tradition sufficiently and to a, a particular level so that you can engage with that context confidently, um, without being uh, compromised, without being uh, domesticated, without being uh, forced into positions that you know are not virtuous. Um, but you can only do that if you really have that depth. And then insha- and to build those institutions, and inshallah those institutions will come, they will arise. You know, um, today, I don't believe there's any reason for somebody in Indonesia, for example, to have to go and study elsewhere. They do, as in they go and study. They don't have to. Like, they've actually got everything they need right there, but they want some other things as well, like, you know, conversational Arabic, for example, or fluency in speaking. But by the time, you know, those sorts of people go to a place like Cairo or to Yemen, uh, to Tarim, within a very short period of time, they're teachers. Because the only thing that was holding them back is just that ability to converse smoothly. Uh, But actually, their depth in Shafi'i Fiqh, for example, is absurd, you know, mashallah, is absurdly great, is absurdly amazing, you know, as Sheikh Saraj would say, amazing, <laughs> you know, um, and the same when it comes to other sciences, okay, they still go, um, but imagine, like, they have that depth already, okay, and sometimes even better, you know, I mean, um, uh, I would be, uh, personally, I would, uh, I would, uh, very often take the word of a Shafi Faqih from Indonesia over that of many that I would meet in the Arab world because they, they've just focused so well on the madhab. Yeah, the Nusantara is interesting. If you look at history, we started out as very much peripheral, yeah. way out in the east, in yeah. the jungles of Southeast Asia. Uh, but over the years, with the development of institutions and yes. of of, um, of madrasas and all that, we've we've developed our own system of education. Alhamdulillah. So yeah, that's a that's an interesting point. Inshallah. the life of um, Sheikh Siraj Allah yarham, uh, I was uh, struck about what you wrote about uh, what he thought of Islam um, not as a way of life but as, as a because it does not convey the, the mission yeah. and the majesty of the religion to say it is just a way of life so he was saying that, that Islam rather is, is a way of being yes 
and did that idea really elevates the discourse? Uh, I think so. Yeah. I was quite. Um, let, let me best for me to read from what he said, rather than try to Bismillah. paraphrase. Bismillah. This is from the book uh, Luminous Lamp, page thirty-seven. He, and this is Sheikh Siraj, severely disliked the cliched phrase "way of life" to describe Islam, seeing it as empty and hollow. Rather, he spoke of Islam as a way of being, and he imparted that consciousness to his students in private and public. So, what what do you can you speak about that? Yeah, I mean, way of life, of course, has connotations and was popularized as uh, a kind of, you know, let's say unidimensional political discourse. Safe. I'm sorry. It was safe to say that. It was safe, but it was also. I mean, like I like I say in the uh, like I said in the book, it, it comes across as really hollow mm. because um, it's about just one dimension, really. You know, Islam isn't just about life mm. um, in terms of you know dunyawi concerns. It's much more than that, and um, it's uh, it's reducing it. Um, I mean, of course, Islam has a lot to say about life and about practice and about form. Of course it does, no question. Um, and those are, uh, those are elements that are uh, uh, direly necessary, but it's not just that. And if you reduce it to just that, then you lose out, tremendously speaking. Whereas, you know, the phrase way of being, I think uh, is far better because then it means that you're not just talking about life, you are talking about life as well, but if you have it as a way of being, then it encapsulates everything and encapsulates, encapsulates all the different arenas that the human being might be engaged with, whether it's in the mulk or the malakut or the jabarut, you know? I mean, that's, that's the reality, I think, of that expression. And, uh, and I appreciated that from him very much. Mm. It went beyond the superficial. Um, and of course, the superficial is, is really popular. Yeah, alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Thank you so much for, for sharing uh, all that you have this, this morning. Barakallahu feekum. Uh, I know that you are very well read and you read widely. I'm just wondering if... I, I only read the books you <laughs> give me, Siddi. You know, alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Come to Warda. <laughs> I'm just uh, wondering uh, if there's one book that you um, always go back to and that you recommend people to read. Oh, that's a tough question because it really depends on the... Uh, on the person, yeah. Well, on the person and on the field. Mm. On the person and on the field. Um, and I'll be honest with you, you know, because I get asked about books, you know, quite a lot. Mm. Um, and including on Islamic studies and just Islam more generally. Um, and I'll be honest and I'll probably get, you know, crucified by my academic colleagues for this. Uh, books aren't remotely as useful as people. Hmm. And... Uh, uh, I got asked, you know, and I get asked this question a lot, but I got asked on this, on, uh, on this particular trip um, by somebody, you know, we have somebody who's interested in Islam, what books should they read? Mm. So uh, they should go to people. Yes. You know? yes. And that's the sunnah. Yes. You know? uh, the Prophet Sallallahu was the model, right? Um, and it wasn't that the Sahaba... Uh, engaged otherwise, engaged with the Prophet so, uh, because the human being requires the human being. Mm. So there can be, uh, and people then will get very upset and say, "But what about the Quran?" It's like, well, of course, the Quran is the unwritten, is the uncreated word of God. Mm. Okay, um, but how do you understand it if your soul, if your mind, if your heart are not opened? And how how are you going to get that full sort of impact? Uh, you may do. You, or you may get something, rather, um, but really we, we benefit in ways that are so incredible by even sometimes a, a, a glance. Mm. You know, people talk a lot about the evil eye. They don't talk enough about, quote-unquote, the good eye. Mm. And, uh, and a true person of God can have that glance that will change you forever. Mm. Yeah. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to to bless everyone who walks into this store and reads and that they benefit from all that they do read um, and that they filter out the stuff that isn't useful and that they 
benefit from all of that which is useful and nafia inshallah um, and that they uh, in this world are brought into contact with people who can truly show them how to be elevated um, and not to be uh, debased um, because that's also often a choice huh? mm. Um, so we, we pray for elevation, inshallah. Mm. Uh, we pray for uh, qurb, inshallah, nearness to Allah and His Messenger. Ameen. Thank you so much. Barakallahu Alhamdulillah, thank you for listening to uh, our conversation with uh, Dr. Hisham Hillier. The two books that we discussed, uh, Luminous Lamp and A Sublime Way, are available at Wada Books. Uh, you can come in person to our store in Vasra Street or you can purchase it uh, online um, at our website. Thank you very much. <laughs>